Hello, hello. Yo, what's up? What's up? What's how y'all doing today? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Um, well, yeah, so listen, first things first, one, y'all better say amen to me while I'm preaching, all right? So because we, by this time, we, you know, y'all are my family, right? So y'all, y'all better say amen to me. Uh, <laughs> that's not a command. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that's not hard. But two, I want to thank Pastor Amanda personally because she has helped me immensely with their sermons. You know, some of these ideas are actually hers, so I can't take all the credit for this. So thank you so much for, for everything. Um, but yeah, so, you know, good morning. How, y- how y'all doing? How y'all doing? Amen. Good, good, good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so happy Father's Day to all the, the fathers and father figures here. Um, if you're watching online, happy Father's Day to you guys online as well. Um, I hope that today is a, is a day just filled with just love and appreciation for all of you. As we celebrate fathers and, and men in general today, my, my mind wanders back to a story that I once heard my pastor back home tell my church about his father. You see, my, my pastor, Edward Hearn, had a father who was a very... A, a very Stern yet, 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 yet you know, loving man, and you know he held his kids to a high standard. In fact, one story that Pastor Hearn would often tell us is that whenever he would go out with his friends, right, right before he stepped out of the door of his home, his, his dad would look him in the eye and tell him, he would say, Now, boy, remember, your name is Hearn because my name is Hearn. So don't go out here messing up my name. <laughs> now, as, as harsh as it, as it sounds, the message was clear. Because you belong to me as a son, you have been called to uphold a certain standard of living. Amen. Amen. <laughs> as we celebrate men today, I, I just want to focus on one single truth, that, that Christian men, men who would claim the name of Jesus, men who would say that they belong to Jesus, have been called to live like Jesus. And we come to this truth by way of Philippians chapter 2. Now, now before we dive into our main text, we first must understand the context. You see, Philippians is a chapter, is a letter rather, from Paul to the Philippian church that he wrote while in prison. The Philippian church was a, a church located in the area of Greece called Macedonia in a, in a city called Philippi. In chapter 2 of this letter, Paul wants the church to be united, and so he urges them to work together in one mind and purpose. He tells them to not be selfish, trying to impress others, but to be humble, thinking of others better than themselves, and as they do so, to pay attention to the interests of others as well as their own interests. Paul then urges them to look to Jesus himself as the ultimate example of how to live a life marked by humility and service in in this beautiful poem that centralizes all of Philippians. And this this poem is what I want to focus on this morning. It it can be found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, but today... I want to focus on verses 5 through 8 mainly. And even though primarily the the context of this poem surrounds unity in the church, I believe that there is an an, an additional word for men this morning that could be applied. And so Paul writes these words starting with verse 5. 
You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. God, but instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And so men who belong to Jesus have been called to live like Jesus. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, thank you for, for fathers and the men in this room today. Lord, as we celebrate Father's Day, I know that this day may be a bit complicated for, for some folks who's, whose fathers have gone on or who may have a, a strained relationship with their fathers. But Lord, you tell us that you are our fathers. So I pray that you would bless those especially who, for whom this day is, is a bit complicated. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with me as I preach your word to these, your people. I pray that you would um, just hide me behind, behind you so that they may see you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I was in college, um, a friend of mine was, was having a, a, bit of, a bit of trouble choosing what he wanted to major in. Right, so, you know, one week it was psychology, then one week it was biology, and the, the next week it was business, right? And, and it, it went on like this for a couple of months, and it was really causing him some, some stress. And so, finally, one day I asked him, I said, you know, why, why are you having such a hard time choosing a major? And he told me, he said, LJ, it's my family. They, they all keep telling me what they think I should be, my my aunt wants me to be a biology major, but my mom thinks I'm more suited for psychology, but my, my dad thinks that business is a smart way to go. I'm tired of, of being bombarded with all these messages. I'm having such a hard time choosing a major. It's like I'm having a major identity crisis. <laughs> my I suggest... That society bombards men with messages of what it thinks men should be much in a similar way. I'm sure that every man here at one point or another has heard the phrase, be a real man, or some variation of that, of that phrase. Maybe you heard this message from the media. Or perhaps you heard this message from a, from a friend or a coach you had growing up. It could be that your own father told you this, this message when you were a little boy. Whoever that message came from, what is usually meant by be a real man is to be someone who is emotionally strong, who doesn't show any fear, who never expresses his his worries and suddenly doesn't cry because tear ducts don't exist in real men. (laughs) To be a real man is to be someone who loves to chase ambition and success, even if it means hurting someone else to do so. To be a real man is to be someone who is tough, and powerful, someone who strives to be dominant so that they can use their dominance to get what they want from others. These are the labels society places on men. These are the celebrated qualities of the ideal man. These are the requirements of masculinity etched in stone by our culture. 
And if any man fails to meet these qualities, then they're just not real men. When we try to buy into what the culture says we should be and realize that we don't measure up, we can end up having a major identity crisis. I believe, however, that that Paul would have us shift our gaze away from what the culture says we should be and on to who Jesus is. And when we do that, we realize that Jesus is radically different from the culture of our world. And Paul sums up this point nicely when he says in verses 5 through 7, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not count equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. In the verses preceding verse 5, Paul actually urges the Philippians to not be selfish or try to impress others, no, no, but, but to be humbled, counting others as more important as they were. He told them that they should not only look out for their own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this, this would have sounded ridiculous, just utterly ridiculous, to a culture that was obsessed with honor and status like the culture of Philippi. A culture that valued men like Alexander the Great, who conquered much of the known world at that time and was celebrated. A culture that valued men like Caesar Augustus, who was in charge at this time, and he was a man who brought peace to Rome through his organizational skills and military might. And so in verses 5 through 7, Paul is trying to paint this stark contrast between the Philippian culture and Jesus so that they would be encouraged to follow Jesus, to have the same attitude that he had. And part of what Paul is saying about Jesus is that when he was on this earth, his life was marked by humility as he took on the role of a servant. And one need only to scan the Gospels to see that this is true. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus, you know, he, he heals countless amounts of people who are sick. He feeds multitudes of folks who are hungry. He, he's associating with and paying attention to people who are considered outcasts and even washing the feet of his disciples time after time after time. We see that the life of Jesus was marked by radical servanthood. And this truth is made all the more amazing when we reflect on the fact that Jesus is God. Amen. So you know those, um, <laughs> those, those TV shows that always just seem to be on or those shows that you, that you just kind of happen upon randomly, you know, you're, you're, you're flipping through the channels and, you know, before you know it, you've watched like five episodes of this one show. So for me, that is Undercover Boss. The premise of this show is fairly simple. You see, there's a boss, usually the CEO or the COO or the CFO or the president or somebody, some boss, you know, of a large company or a restaurant chain who goes undercover as a regular employee in order to assess how the company is doing, how the employees are treating their customers, and how the employees themselves are being treated by their direct managers. The show will capture the boss in their nice formal business attire in his or her office doing boss things like tapping on a computer or like, you know, being in meetings and you know, just you know, stuff like that. 
<laughs> but this, no, these, these scenes are shown because the show wants the audience to understand that, you know, that, that, that this is an important person with big responsibilities, with privileges, and with power. They are the boss. But then the show captures the boss taking off their suits and putting on normal employee attire and uniforms. And, you know, normally these things are accompanied by, you know, silly disguises like fake mustaches and silly wigs and, you know, things like that. You know, and, and so they, they try to interact with, with their employees without anyone finding out that in reality that they are, in fact, the boss. The bosses essentially lower themselves to the status of a regular employee, giving up any privileges they have in order to work with their employees. But all the while, they remain the boss. But Jesus... Being God, the king of the universe, the ultimate boss, willingly stepped down from his powerful throne in heaven, stepped onto earth, put on the uniform of humanity, placing himself within the confines of space, time, and history. Not to wield power over humanity, not even to just interact with humanity, but to serve humanity. Jesus willingly lowered himself to the status of a human being to serve humanity and in so doing gave up his divine privileges while still remaining divine. He took off the suit of his privilege while still remaining the boss. Now, I love, I love the word picture that, 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 that the NLT uses in verse 7. It says, Jesus did not count equality with God as something to cling to. The ESV says that Jesus did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. So although Jesus was was still God while he was on earth, he wasn't holding on to his his privileges for dear life. He didn't see his privilege as something to, to use for his own advantage, but instead he gave up his divine privileges by becoming human and serving others. In a culture that is obsessed, that was obsessed with honor, Jesus was obsessed with humility and service. And in so doing, Jesus set an example for how men are to be different from the culture that they live in. Because men who belong to Jesus have been called to live like Jesus. And there are, there are probably a, a lot of ways that men who belong to Jesus can live like Jesus, but I, I want to just focus on, on two. So first, men who belong to Jesus can, get, can, get, can give up their privileges and serve like Jesus. You see, the, the culture that we live in uh, tends to value powerful people, usually men, keeping their privilege to themselves. But Jesus relinquished, he relinquished his privilege, became one of us, and served Mm-hmm. And men who belong to Jesus have been called to do the same. Now, I know that many of you have, you know, have, you know, have, hard, have perhaps hard lives and may not think that you have any privilege. However, men in this society generally have more privilege than women, especially in the workplace. When women and men are in workplace meetings together, typically the ideas of men are listened to the most and taken more seriously than the ideas and thoughts of women. 
And so maybe giving up privilege could look like us men actively listening to women speak in meetings and highlighting their ideas. Amen. Amen. Fathers have privilege over their, over their kids as the leaders of their homes. What would it look like to serve them in kind ways instead of treating them harshly when they make mistakes? No, there may be folks that, that don't have the same social status as us or financial status as us. What, what would it look like to develop a friendship with them and serve them? Not out of a, a sense of, of, of a need to feel good about ourselves, but out of, a, out of a desire for genuine love like Jesus did for us. You never know how it might impact someone's life. And I can say for a fact that my life was changed because someone laid down their privilege to serve me. See, back in um, 2009, the summer of 09, I was a, whew, I was a junior going into my senior year of high school. And, and during, during this time, during this time, uh, I was looking for colleges to attend, right? So I, I was visiting colleges all, all over the place and, and this and that. And Parenthetically, I was, I was dead set, actually, on going to a place called Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, because I had done a pre-college program there where I had to stay there for like a summer and, 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 and take a class there, and I loved it. And I thought, hey, Calvin College, the way to go. I'm going to go here. Boom. Done deal. But my family thought it was wise to visit other places. And so my mom actually was the first person to visit Grace College to, you know, to kind of scope, you know, scope the area out to see if it was fit for, for her son, right, as moms do. <laughs> and while she was in the area, she met a Grace College professor named Dr. Slaughter. Now, Dr. Slaughter was one of the psychology professors. Um, I think he might have been at that time perhaps the chair of the department. I don't know. But... They had a conversation, and she told him about how I was going to, you know, be visiting pretty soon. And, and he said, okay, well, hey, you know, next time he comes, you know, I'll be happy to, 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 to give you and your family a tour of, of the campus myself. And that's what happened. You know, I, I, I came to, to the college, like, like, about a month later, met, met Dr. Slaughter. He gave, us, he gave us a tour. It was a good tour. He, you know, he, he told us about the buildings and the history and all that. And I thought, hey. It was a great tour, nice, nice place. I don't know, we'll see. But after the tour was over, Dr. Slaughter, this man with power and privilege as a professor, he, he invited my family and I into his home where we met his wife and where he showed me his antique train collection in his attic. <laughs> You know, he, he introduced me to the chair of the graphic design department because I thought at the time I was going to major in graphic design. He took me and my family out to, to lunch at Stonehenge Golf Course, which is pretty pricey. But he did that in service to us. And at the end of the day, I was so impacted by this man and what he had done. I, I, I thought to myself, I said, I said, man, like, if the folks at this place are anything like this guy, perhaps Grace College is a good place to go. And so I went to Grace. 
Had I, not, had I not gone to grace, I wouldn't have the friends that I have now. Had I not gone to grace, I wouldn't have the wife that I have now. <laughs> had I not gone to grace, I probably wouldn't have switched my major from graphic design to counseling. And I wouldn't have become a counselor. Had I not gone to grace, I wouldn't have stayed in the area. I wouldn't be in this church. I wouldn't be on this stage. But it was all because one man relinquished his privilege to serve me, and it changed the course of my life. And so following the example of Jesus, let's relinquish our privileges and serve others, because men who belong to Jesus have been called to live like Jesus. And as we relinquish our privileges, let's, let's also remember that, that doing so will cost us, just like it cost Jesus. In fact, Paul alludes to this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. He writes, When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Crucifixion was only reserved for the worst of the worst of criminals in Jesus' day. Crucifixion broadcasted to everyone that, that, that this person was the lowest of the low. This person committed a crime so heinous that they deserve to die a shameful, agonizing death on a cross. And that's how much letting go of privilege cost Jesus. Jesus went from the highest point to the lowest point. He went from wearing a crown as king in heaven to carrying a cross as a criminal on earth. Can you imagine how much Jesus sacrificed? The king of the universe died. The creator of heaven and earth died. God died. Letting go of privilege on behalf of others cost Jesus his life. So you better believe it's going to cost us something. Perhaps it will, count, it will cost us our money. Perhaps it will cost us our time or other resources, but I can guarantee you that it will cost our, our comfort. Now, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, I don't know about y'all. You know, perhaps y'all are more holier than I am, right? But, but I, I, like, I like comfort. Okay? I, I, I enjoy comfort. Comfort is nice. Amen. Com- comfort is comfortable, right? You know, letting go of privilege to serve someone else is not comfortable. It's difficult. It's not in my nature to, to do that at all. It, it makes me squirm and it makes my armpits itch, quite frankly. <laughs> but perhaps that's the point. See, my mind wanders to, wanders to something that, that Christ said in Matthew 19, verse 26. See, after Jesus spoke to the disciples about how hard it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven, the disciples freaked out. And they asked, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them intently and replied, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. So as, as men who follow Jesus, we can rely on the Holy Spirit's help to mold us into the men that Jesus has called us to be. 
And so first, men who belong to Jesus have been called to give up their privileges and serve like Jesus. And secondly, men who belong to Jesus can, can assert their calling like Jesus. See, when, when Jesus came to the earth as the long-promised Messiah of Israel, his disciples had expectations about how he was supposed to carry out this calling. You know, they expected Jesus to be this, you know, mighty warrior to, to mightily overthrow Rome, to bring freedom to the Jewish people. But Jesus, time after time after time again, had to assert a correct view of the Messiah, not one of military might, but of sacrificial service that would bring redemption to all people. And Jesus isn't the only example of this. In fact, the Philippians themselves are perfect examples of this, actually. Like I said earlier, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, is this, this, this beautiful poem that, you know, that, that Paul puts together that centralizes all of Philippians. And in this poem, as we have already discussed, Paul describes the lengths to which Jesus went to display humility and service. Paul ends this poem with verses 9, 10, and 11 in this crescendo of thought. And it's, 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 it's kind of like, like when you were in the movies, right? And, and, you know, and the, the big climactic scene comes on where the hero saves the day, and there's all this heroic music in the background, and, and it's loud and majestic. That's kind of the effect that Paul is going for here. So after talking about Jesus dying a criminal's death on the cross in verse 8, Paul triumphantly writes in verse 9, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declared that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about y'all, but I'm charged up. I am encouraged. And no doubt, this is what the Philippians felt when they read this. Now, I wish I could go into details about, you know, the, the intricacies of, of this passage, but if I were to just sum up these verses in just three words, it would be this, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, and one day everybody's going to declare it. And I don't care if you're in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in between the earth, upside down from the earth, diagonal to the earth. Someday, everybody is going to know and declare that Jesus is Lord. Amen. And while, while this serves as an encouragement to us and also to the Philippians, this also probably created some conflict with the Philippians as, as well. As I said earlier, Philippi was located in an area called Macedonia, which is in Greece. Okay. Philippi was also a Roman colony. And during this time, to show loyalty to Caesar Augustus and to keep peace with Rome, the citizens of Rome and its colonies would say that Caesar is Lord. Caesar was regarded as divine because of his military might and how he brought peace to the then-known world and his skills as an emperor. Essentially, by saying that Jesus is Lord, Paul is claiming this countercultural revolutionary idea that instead of this mighty 
warrior leader being Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus, this political criminal who was killed in the most heinous and shameful way possible, is Lord. Jesus, this Jewish man from a podunk ghetto called Nazareth, is Lord. Jesus, this privileged, relinquishing, self-sacrificing, humility-embracing Savior, is Lord. Claiming Jesus as Lord undoubtedly led to some persecution against the Philippian church. But nonetheless, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to assert their countercultural calling as followers of Jesus in the midst of a culture that tells them otherwise. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, men who follow Jesus must do the same. When the culture says ambition is Lord, we must say Jesus is Lord. When the culture says strength is Lord, we must say Jesus is Lord. When the culture says chasing dominance is Lord, we must say Jesus is Lord. And when the culture says privilege is Lord, we must say Jesus is Lord. Perhaps there are men here today that have bought into the culture's idea of manhood. Maybe striving to be a real man has left you feeling empty. But God told me to tell you this morning that you have been set free. Today, we not only celebrate Father's Day, but we also celebrate Juneteenth. The holiday that celebrates the end of slavery in this country. On January 1st, 1863, during the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And this decree declared freedom from all slaves in the the Confederate States. However, this proclamation did not only did not truly free all the slaves in the Confederacy. A lot of slave owners from Louisiana, Mississippi, and other Confederate states flocked to Texas as they saw it as a safe haven to preserve their slaveholding way of life. When the proclamation was signed in 1863, slaveholders in Texas ignored it and kept their slaves. And so even though these slaves were declared free, They weren't living in their freedom. It wasn't until June 19, 1865, two and a half years later after the proclamation had been signed, that General Gordon Granger and a large army rode into Galveston, Texas, and enforced freedom for the 250,000 slaves there in that state. The freedom that had been declared could finally be embraced and lived out. And so perhaps there are men today, men here that belong to Jesus, that have been enslaved to the culture's version of manhood. And I just want to inform you today that Jesus, our great emancipator, has set you free and has declared that you are free. You have been set free from the requirements of manhood society places on you. You, And you are now free to live like Jesus, to be a man like Jesus. And since you have been declared free by Jesus, embrace and live in your freedom. Because men who belong to Jesus have been called to live like 
Jesus. Amen. So as the worship leader comes up to the stage, um, I just want to offer some next steps that men could take to live like Jesus. If you would all take out your orange cards and a pen, ask the Holy Spirit to bring someone to your mind who can serve, who you can serve this week, and write down their initials or their names on that orange card. Also, Justin Clark, in the last installment of our Under Pressure series, told us that in order to renew our minds, we need to be bodily, spiritually, and intellectually connected with God and other people. In other words, not only do we need God to renew our minds, but we need other people. Men, we need other men to help us live out the calling Jesus has placed in our lives. So ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you someone that you need to reach out to and get connected with because we were made for a community and write down their initials on that card. If you're a guy that needs community, a group of us guys meets Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. to to play basketball at this location right over there in, in the gym. So feel free to join us. Right, so I promise we're not out here, you know, being NBA All-Stars. We ain't Steph Curry, you know what I'm saying? We're we just some dudes that love to play basketball, love each other, you know what I'm saying? And so you are welcome to join us if you are in need of community. So with that being said, I'm going to, to pray for us as we enter ministry time. So Heavenly Father, we thank you. Again, for the men today in this room, we, pr- we pray a special blessing upon them. Help all of us to, to live out this countercultural calling that you have placed on each of our lives. God, I pray if there is a man who does not know you, that you would embrace them, you would show them your love. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would empower all of us, embolden us, encourage us, strengthen us to relinquish our privileges to serve other people, to get connected to other men and be in community with them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.